17 wins in a row. That's what uh, Tuesday night was right here as the St. Louis Cardinals made history. I was doing some other things, and so I listened to the radio, uh, KMOX, and caught the end of the game, and then I caught the post-game interview with Adam Wainwright. Of course, he had pitched that game. He had laid down a key bunt in that game, and it was interesting as they asked Wainwright about the last 17 games in this historic winning streak that the Cardinals had been on. He says something along these lines. Look, there are, they've been 26 to 28 guys in that dugout over there. And when we needed a hit or when there was a key defensive play that was made or someone really needed to stand up and pitch, he said, man, our team came together. There's something about that picture. It's not one person taking credit. It's saying, look, we are a team and we are all working together. When we think about the picture of the church, the church is a family, it is a body, and the picture is, if we would look at athletics today, the church is like a team, that we all are members of that team, we're all different position players of that team, and we all have responsibility to carry so that the message of the gospel can get out. That's what I think Paul is really focused on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And this picture of that we're in this together and we're in this to move forward together. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and we'll pick up in verse number 1. We're going to read the first five verses, but then we'll actually make reference to all of the verses in the chapter. So I encourage you to keep your Bible open. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it has happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. And again, I pray that you'd speak to us today. And Lord, the challenges that we're presented with today, help us to live them out for Jesus. In your name, amen. In Acts 17, when Paul came into the city of Thessalonica, he was only there. He reasoned three weeks in the synagogue, but was only there a very short time. But these were people that Paul loved. He called them in chapter 1, those opening verses, he called them his beloved brethren. He says in chapter 2, verse 7 and following, he said that we were gentle among you. When we came to minister, we were gentle among you like like a mother of a newborn, like a nursing mother. We were seeking to take care of you. Now, Paul comes to this point, though, when Again, they didn't have email and and U.S. mail and all this kind of stuff going on. They couldn't find out about how the church in Thessalonica was doing. And so what they had to do was they sent 
Timothy. So Paul sends Timothy off because he's just, he's, he's struggling thinking, how, how is this church doing? I know that there was affliction. I know that there was tribulation. I know that there was temptation that they were facing. How are they doing? And so he sends Timothy and then Timothy comes back and Paul pens this letter. But as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I think we see Paul's relationship with the church at Thessalonica. And I think that we see Paul's heart for the church, those that are within the church at Thessalonica. And he says and shows that, guys, this is how you are to live as a church. This is is the example. This is the model. These are the, the exhortations that I have for you at Thessalonica, those of you in the church. And so I think he lays out Three challenges for the church today. The first challenge is this. As we think about the church, the church is to care for each other. We care for each other. There's the picture of of the church. We are to be people who care. Now, Paul sets this example very quickly as we step into 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Because he says, look, I was wondering about you. And so what I did was I sent Timothy. And now he goes on in verse number two and talks about Timothy, how he was a a brother and a fellow minister in labor. Now think about Paul and Silas. They've been going through these cities on on mission, and now Paul is willing to give up one-third of his mission team. Paul is now, and Paul and Silas are willing to take on more responsibility and more work, and they are handing Timothy off to go to Thessalonica to go and check on that church. You have to understand that this is a sacrifice. You know, it wasn't just the two, the three of them. Now it was just going to be two of them. They still had work to do. They still had churches to check on. They still had messages to preach. Could you imagine on one of those days, Paul wakes up and says, man, I am just beat. I'm wore out. And Timothy says, hey, Paul, I'll preach today. I'll stand up and I'll do it today. Paul says, man, I I just need to take a, a rest this afternoon, but somebody's supposed to come see me. And Timothy says, Paul, I'll meet with them. So there's this picture that Paul is willing to make the sacrifice and send one third of his his missions team over. That's a picture of care. Paul says, look, I've not only shared the gospel, but I'm sharing my life. And now I'm sacrificing to the point of sharing my mission team. As we think about that, I, I wonder, and maybe we just need to be asked the question every once in a while. When was the last time we made a sacrifice for the gospel? I'm not talking about, you know, ordinary ministry. I mean, when was the last time we really sacrificed significant time and energy for the message of the gospel? We thought, man, we're tired, but we're going anyway. We, we, we're going to be part of this. Oh, I'm busy, but listen, I need to cut time out in order to serve or to be here and to encourage. I, I, maybe it's financial. When was the last time we sacrificed financially for the gospel? There's this picture Paul cares so much that he's willing to sacrifice. Now, as we think about Paul's care, it's interesting what Paul really cares about and what he doesn't care about. As we think about uh, a lot of times what we ask people about, you know, it's, it's temporal issues, you know, 
Uh, how'd your college football team do yesterday and how the Cardinals are doing and how the weather's doing and how's your family and how's your job and how's life in the neighborhood and you caught any good sales, you know, or at Kohl's lately or how much Kohl's cash do you have or those are, those are the kind of things that uh, I, I hear. I, I don't enjoy, but I still hear them. So, and I just think dollar signs in my head. But to, anyway, uh, as, as Paul... Paul begins to share with them. I want you to notice what Paul really cares about. Notice, notice with me as, as Paul shares and, and sends Timothy. Notice at the end of verse number two. He says to, he's sending Timothy to encourage you concerning your faith. Notice the end of, or notice in verse number five. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Paul cared about their faith in Jesus. Paul cared about their faith. Why did Paul go to Thessalonica? He went to Thessalonica so that he could share Jesus because he cared about people's faith. He knew that everyone is bound for one of two eternal destinations. And Paul cared enough about faith that he would walk into the city of Thessalonica. He would go into the synagogue and probably out on the streets and share the message of Jesus. He cared about people and their faith. We're in a hundred days of sharing. I think, uh, now we're, you know, we're down to, to 89 days or something like that till the end of the year. I mean, listen, we've got to redeem the time in the sense that, that we don't ever get this back. And so I'm, I'm praying for opportunities to share, and I hope that you're looking and praying for opportunities to share. And so early in the week, was able to share uh, Christ with somebody. But then later this week, I, I went to a small business, and, and it was, it was uh, amazing because as I, uh, I was there, I, I began to talk, and they, they knew I was a pastor, but they began to ask church questions, and I began to share the gospel. And one of the other employees there, there was no one else there, came over and sat down. And I got to, to take a few minutes and just share the message of the gospel. Why? Because we care about people's faith. We care. And that's the picture. Now, can I tell you? Can I let you in on a secret? Sometimes I get a little anxious when I share the gospel with somebody. I mean, sometimes that little bit of what if they don't like it and what if they don't like me after that kind of can roll up. Or what if I don't have all of the answers to, to some question that they may throw at me? Share Jesus anyway. I wish I could tell you, man, I have three people who walked down the aisle today and, and now they've trusted Jesus, and, and, but that's not what happened. But you know, part of the joy of fishing is just fishing. You don't catch a fish on every cast. Sometimes it's fun just to be out there. As we think about our life, Paul cared about their faith. We need to care about the faith of others. They cared about their faith in Jesus. But not only their faith in Jesus, but their walk with Jesus. Now, notice the words that Paul uses back in 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 3. Notice the, these, these pictures of these words. Verse number 3, as they experienced uh, affliction. Uh, don't be shaken by these afflictions. Notice in verse number 4, they suffer tribulation. In verse number 5, they're... Uh, the tempter comes to tempt them. So affliction, tribulation, temptation, these are all true for all those people around. And Paul said this was going to happen, and God does even use the trials and temptations and afflictions of our life. But Paul is calling them and sending Timothy because he wants to check on their 
walk with Jesus. All of us who've been in church more than just a few years, we know people. And we know people that somewhere along the line, they experienced affliction or tribulation and temptation. And guess what? They're not sitting in anybody's church anymore. Somewhere along the line, they got distracted and went off course. Somewhere along the line, they, they followed the allurement of the world or they decided it was easier just to stay home on Sunday and wait for football to start. Somewhere along the line, their feelings got hurt, maybe even at church. But Paul is concerned that they are walking with Jesus. One of the ways that we show care is when someone starts to kind of slide off course, what do we do as a body? We reach out, we call, we say, hey, dude, bro, you better straighten up, man. You need to be back. Don't, don't do that. Don't go there. I've watched that before. So that as believers, we show this care and concern by helping and encouraging people as they go through the afflictions and the tribulations and the temptations in life. Some of you have experienced some hurtful things in your life. And you've wondered, <laughs> should, I, should I persevere in the faith? And I will just tell you, true faith, that's focused faith, is going to persevere. When my brother died, I was in seminary. And uh, a pastor friend called, and he called and me while I was at seminary and said, hey, man, I just talked with your parents. I said, man, I'm glad you did. You know, obviously losing a child is is painful. It's heart-wrenching. I, I watched him go through that. And he said, buddy, they're still walking in the faith. Buddy, I, I'm, I'm thankful. They've not lost that zeal for the Lord. You know what can I say? You can, you can endure the trials and the afflictions and the tribulations when you keep your faith focused. And when you know people care around you and are praying for you and lift you up and sometimes hold your hand, and sometimes move you forward. Care for each other. That's the picture that Paul, I think, lays out as a challenge for the church. He sends Timothy because he cares. Not only do we think about the church and caring for each other, but secondly, we think about the church is called to encourage each other. Encourage. Notice back with me in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 2. They send Timothy, the brother, minister, fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Notice what he says. To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. What They send Pastor Timothy to encourage them in the faith. Paul has already tried to write a letter of encouragement. He has written and said, uh, man, I'm thankful that, that God's moved in your life. That, that, and he's writing them because they are believers. They are, he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. These were folks that when Paul swept into to Thessalonica in, in Acts 17, they heard the word of the gospel. They received Jesus as their savior. And so I think Paul, as he encourages them, says, man, you are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as he writes them and calls them beloved brethren, and as he writes them and says, look, God's grace and peace be to you. And as he writes them and says, brethren, I knowing your election by God, knowing that you are secure in the faith, writes them and 110 says, hey, we're waiting for his son from heaven. Jesus is coming. Now think about this. 
What did Timothy have to say? Well, Timothy brought gold nuggets of encouragement. We see gold nuggets of encouragement throughout the book. Did, did you hear or did you read in the news this last week? And uh, Zach, this happened in Arkansas, actually, the land of opportunity, okay? Now, listen, listen what happened in the land of opportunity. There were some folks in California who came to, I think it's called the Diamond Crater State Park. It's in southwest Arkansas. And uh, this lady finds a 4.38 carat diamond. It is the only open diamond mine in the United States. So she goes on vacation. She hears about this place. They leave California. They go to southwest Arkansas. And for them, it really was the land of opportunity. Could you imagine finding a 4.38 carat diamond while you're on vacation? I mean, most of us are happy if we can bring a seashell home, right? Uh, you know, or, or a t-shirt. Uh, this lady brings home a, a, a diamond. Listen, more important than, than a diamond or a precious jewel, Timothy and Paul shared the message of Jesus. Listen, God's grace and peace is going to be with you. Jesus is in your life. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You're absolutely secure in him. Brethren, knowing your election by God, let me tell you how Jesus says it. He says in, in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they'll never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand for my father, which gave them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to pluck them out of his hand. And so the picture is I and the father are one. Jesus says, look, as a believer, you are in the hand of Jesus. Over that is the hand of God and you are safe and secure in him. He reminds them in chapter one and verse number 10, in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. He reminds them that Jesus is coming. In 2.12, it says that there is a kingdom that is coming for the future. That life is not going to be all affliction and tribulation. That eternal life is going to be a new kingdom where Jesus sits on the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords and there's no more pain and there's no more affliction and there's no more tribulation and there's no more temptation. You be encouraged, church at Thessalonica and I'd say be encouraged today be encouraged today I, I realize man the news stinks around us I realize the winds of culture are blowing hard against us and it seems like evil is is more pervasive and 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 it, it keeps invading different parts of society I will tell you we win. As I shared last week, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Jesus has won. We win. We can be encouraged in him no matter what's going on around us. So we care for each other. We encourage each other. And thirdly, we pray for each other. Now, as we think about praying for each other, slide down with me to verse number 10. He says, night and day, praying exceedingly. Notice down in verse number 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Pray for each other. So notice how Paul begins to pray and what he is praying for. Again, he, he doesn't ever mention physical needs. 
He doesn't talk about the financial challenges that believers have faced quite possibly as they're being persecuted in Thessalonica. What is Paul praying for and seeking God day and night for? Notice with me back up in verse number 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Praying. He first prays for spiritual growth. Notice with me in verse number 10. He's praying uh, that they would have a faith that is perfect. That he would be able to mature or complete their faith. They have some areas that are lacking. Now, if we've learned anything over the last uh, 18 months or so, 19 months, this is what we've learned. Students learn better face-to-face than they do with just written assignments or on a Zoom call. You know what Paul's saying? Night and day, man, I'm praying and I want to see you because I want to bring your faith to maturity. I, I want to see in your eyes that you get it when we talk about the coming of Jesus. I, I, want, to, I want to be able to tell from, from your body language and be able to interact with you when I talk about love or when I talk about holiness or when I talk about spiritual disciplines. Paul is praying for their spiritual growth. And moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, sometimes we need to remember not just to pray for safety and protection as our kids go off here or there or as they get the keys and go riding. We need to pray for their spiritual growth. Paul is praying that their faith would be complete and that what is lacking in their faith would would grow and be changed. He prays for their spiritual growth. Secondly, he prays for God's direction. Notice with me in in verse number 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. He longed for God's direction. Now he wanted God's direction to take him back to Thessalonica. But can I tell you, knowing the heart of Paul, more than he wanted God's direction to take him back to Thessalonica, he wanted God's direction. Got it? He just wanted God's direction. He wanted God's will. Lord, may it be that I get back to Thessalonica. Truth is, he doesn't get back to Thessalonica. But we find he has this longing. Lord, direct my path. There's a couple of, of, of verses that we need to understand when it comes to God's direction, because all of us pray for God's direction in our life sometime or another. I mean, it might be that we're facing a, a big decision of college or career or marriage or vocation or job offers. We see all of these things go on around us. And Proverbs fourteen twelve tells us this. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You, you know what I've been able to find? That people can justify doing just about anything. There's a way that seems right, or at least can make me in my own conscience come to a place where where I can reconcile this and do how and what I want. But we're warned that that may not be the way. That may be the way of death. Instead, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Now, that little word, all, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. 
It doesn't mean most, it means all. And that little word all is a big word. And it's really saying, Lord, I'm submitting and surrendering everything, all to Jesus. I surrender. And we come to that place, the Lord says, look, I'll direct you. When you say, Lord, it's, it's your will first and foremost. It's all about you. It's, it's, it's my heart for you. John 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth who guides us into all truth. Praying for spiritual growth, praying for God's direction. Thirdly, he prays for increasing love. Notice with me the, the next, very next verse, verse number 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Increasing love that we would love God, that we would love each other, and then he says, and that you would love all. As we think about love, listen just for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we think about increasing love especially, we'll pick up and I'll just read verse number four. Love suffers long and is kind Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, let's take a moment right here and personalize that. You say, what do you mean personalize that? One of the ways that you can pray for yourself and one of the ways I need to pray for myself is this increasing love. Now, let's go back and read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 again. Buddy suffers long and is kind. He does not envy. He does not parade himself. He is not puffed up. He does not behave rudely. He does not seek his own. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. He does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. He bears all things, Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I don't know about you. I'm not there. There's a lot more patience that's needed and kindness that's needed. And Paul prays that this church would be a church that would Show love. What about you? How's your example of love before others? And how is your expression of love to others? Praise for increasing love. This might be a verse that you need to pray for yourself this week. Lord, would you help me to be patient and kind? 
Then he prays for holiness. He prays that they would increase in love and that they would be established in holiness. Notice with me in verse number 13. So that he, the Lord, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Blameless in holiness. Oh, man, can you imagine the city of Thessalonica? You think the culture of the United States is bad? I mean, this was emperor worship world. This was idolatry and immorality. This was flaunting any type of immorality that you could imagine. That was this society. And now he's praying, Lord, help them to be established in holiness, to live a life that's different, to think different, to act different, to do different than everybody else in the society that is around them. May their focus be set on you and may their life be set apart, not to be a part of the world, but to be conformed to you. That's what Romans 12 reminds us. Do not be conformed to the world. For Thessalonica, conformed to immorality and idolatry and pagan worship and stepping on each other to move up the corporate ladder and, and a, a place that was filled with pride and, and a sense of, of really uh, debauchery that, that we would probably know in maybe only a couple of our cities in the U.S. And I don't think they, that even they would compare because this was, this was government-mandated stuff. And he prays that this church would be holy. Why? Notice the last part of verse number 13. He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Why does he want us to live in love and holiness, in particular, right here in the text? Because God the Father knows Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready if he comes today? Is there anything that you'd say, man, I wish I would have cleaned out the closet of my mind if I'd known the Lord was coming? I, I wish that I had lived with different priorities if I had just known the Lord was coming. And throughout 1 Thessalonians every week, I tell you, Jesus is coming. Be ready. Yesterday, our family got to celebrate with Julie's parents their 50th wedding anniversary. And we got to look back through pictures and see photos and there was family there and there were friends there. And can I tell you, you all who you've been more, married more than five minutes, you, you know that, that life, life has its moments. But we celebrated yesterday because they persevered in faithfulness. Life has its moments. Our spiritual life has its moments. But ultimately, that one picture of the good and faithful servant is brought back to our mind that says, in the affliction, 
in the tribulation, in the temptation, through all the difficulty, I am choosing to be faithful. And if I fail today, I'm going to repent, I'm going to confess, and I'm going to accept the Lord's direction and maybe the Lord's reproof for my life, and I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep walking in faithfulness. That's the picture. There's no one who lives a perfect Christian life. But the Lord wants you to live a faithful Christian life. And that's the call. Are you caring? Are you encouraging? Are you praying? With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, thank you for uh, just how uh, Paul and this church sets the example for us. So may we be people who care, encourage, and pray. And Lord, if there's someone here today and they've gotten off course and they're not following your direction right now, God, would you bring them to a place of repentance that they can cry out to you and find your perfect will and perfect way. Lord, if there are people who don't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray today that they would have their eyes open to the truth of the message of the gospel, that it's not by our works, but by grace alone, through faith that we can be saved. In your name, amen.